I'm willing to bet that in five to 10 years time, more apartments and houses will be built without kitchens. I think convenience is going to increase, options are going to increase, and the consumer is going to, going to have more options. And uh, the consumer is going to go with, like always, the option that is better, faster, and cheaper. So hi, everyone. Um, thanks for tuning in to episode 15 of our podcast. Sara and I are here with Ahmed Rawi and Mu'ayd Mu'ayd, co-founders of Kado. Hi, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. So I feel like we've timed uh, this episode well with everyone making the resolution to eat healthy. And essentially part of what Kado does, and we'll get into that in more detail in a bit, is sort of help you stick to this resolution and make healthy easy. But before we get into that, can you tell us more about your life's pre-Kalo and what essentially the genesis uh, of Kalo was? I've been building tech startups for a while. Um, I built a couple of different uh, projects in college. So I, I studied computer engineering, always been a, a techie, and uh, I loved building things. Specifically, I loved the interaction between the software and hardware worlds. Um, so I would build electronics and program them to do all sorts of things. Built out uh, my first business out of college. And I got hooked since then. Um, then I built a. Uh, I wanted to. I, I wanted to do something more scalable. My first business was a uh, was kind of in the had a hardware component or element to it. I was building interactive solutions for events, and then I actually ended up selling that business to a local event management company. I wanted to build something more scalable, so I ended up building a, a marketplace app that helped people book sports venues and scale that over three years to um, most of the GCC. So we were in five countries. And uh, we had a few hundred thousand users. Uh, we're doing a few million dollars in GMV every year in you know, sports venues bookings. And we also had a social app or social tool, basically, feature that allowed people to, to join football matches or basketball games happening around them. I ended up leaving the company after three years, realizing that the market size was too small. It was difficult to, to monetize. The company's still running. It's called Malaab, and the team is still, uh, still working on it. But uh, I left uh, my co-founder at the time, took over and um, spent the, the year exploring different, um, different opportunities. I was uh, just trying different startups, um, launching a few different things, learning more about different markets and industries. My main learning outcome from Malaya probably was, uh, it almost doesn't matter how hard you work as much as it matters how good the market you're in is. So I wanted to take that learning and understand what exciting markets are out there. Um, with the same the same mission, I guess, of building high impact products that solve a problem for a large number of people, and uh, yeah, one year, almost one year uh, later of exploration, I um, and, and launching like seven different experimental startups, most of which have failed, a couple of which have have uh, shown some promise, but I wasn't excited about the space. Calo was there, and, and I fell in love with the space. I was building it. Um, I was scratching my own itch, building it in, to an extent for myself uh, as a customer. I was surprised to, to, to learn that many other people also found it useful and wanted to, to be customers and the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. And I think there's an interesting story of how you guys joined forces as well. Absolutely. So I, um, Ahmed and I met through Kahlo. We didn't know each other before. Um, I, 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 was, I was following what Kahlo was doing, reached out very early on. And Ahmed and I met for coffee and I remember leaving completely blown away um, for multiple reasons. If you know Ahmed, you'd know why. But the other reason is um, I would be a super user of Kahlo. So I would spend all of my time in the office on different types of meal plans, 
not because of a fitness goal, just because I was looking for a convenient solution. Um, so I fell in love with what Calo was doing and yeah, joined joined very early on as as an investor. And Ahmed and I just kept talking. And when Ahmed asked me to to join as a co-founder, I jumped at the opportunity. I didn't think I was, I, I definitely wasn't looking to change what I was doing professionally, but I, I, I loved the idea. Yeah, and one of the things we've come to learn as well about, about each other is we have very different skill sets that once, once, once you go through the learning curve of how to work with someone, um, I'm super grateful for the way we, we complement each other. Um, but yeah, Stephanie, the, the, my introduction to, to Calo was being a, an, an investor first and now spending my, my waking hours working on it. Thanks, uh, Mu'ayyad and Ahmed. Can you tell us a little bit about what Calo is, just for those who don't really know? So what, what's the business model and, and how, what's the offer that you, what do you offer to customers? Yeah, so Calo is a direct-to-consumer app that provides personalized meal subscriptions. So you'd go on the app and you'd, you'd give us a few pieces of information by yourself, mostly your biometrics, so your age, weight, height, gender, activity level. And based on that, we would um, estimate how many calories your body needs to hit your fitness goal, whether it's to lose weight, maintain weight, or, or gain muscle. And we don't only tell you, but we, you know, we, we serve you. So then you could choose uh, what what meals you like from our menu, and then we would portion them to suit your fitness requirements or your your health goals, and send them to you. Being direct to consumer means that we we operate the entire value chain, so we cook and deliver the meals. Um, and what that gives us is obviously adds a lot of um, overhead and headache, but in, in return it allows us to um, control the quality a lot more for the customer and personalize the experience more, and 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 be a lot more data driven as we have access to the the entire operation. That's what we do in a nutshell. And so people would subscribe for weekly or monthly meal plans. And you know, um, you could choose one meal per day or two meals per day or three meals per day, depending on uh, what you'd like. And we deliver those meals for you. Yeah. What if somebody doesn't like one meal? Is it, is it easy to change or to kind of um, cancel one meal of the day ahead of time? Can you tell us a bit more about how what the customer experience is? Maya, do you want to take this one? Yeah. So, so one one of the one of the features on Calo is uh, the ease of changing your preferences. Is so when, when you're first onboarded onto the app, you can highlight what uh, what allergens you have. You can also highlight what are the things that you don't want to eat. And the on on each day offering, um, the app highlights for you which items you should avoid. So after selecting, the app auto-selects what works best for you from a nutritional point of view, but with a click of a button on any of the days up to 36 hours before you receive the delivery, you can change at any point. Same thing with the delivery. So it's a big focus on convenience and best experience for the consumer. Adding to that, we have we offer a menu of uh, more than uh, 20 options per day from breakfasts, lunches, and, and snacks. And that menu changes every single day and you have other new options the day after. Um, and that's only going to increase and become better with time because you know the, the, the bigger the scale, the more we get to offer to the customer in terms of not only convenience, but options and personalization. Great, that sounds really great. We can't wait for it to uh, come um, to, to expand into different countries. It's a large and fragmented market where I guess traditional players have mostly been operating in more or less the same way for a while, right? 
Yeah, so the way I started describing it after a few, I guess after a couple of years of, of doing it, uh, something that, like, I guess an analogy that I, I learned after um, getting into the space, there's this spectrum of convenience and food um, and consuming food in general. And on the very end of the, of the convenience spectrum where it's not convenient, you have cooking. Obviously, cooking is is uh, not convenient because you need a skill level. It's a lot of work. You need to do the shopping, you need to do the cleaning. But it's also uh, the most affordable and it's very flexible. You could cook exactly what you want. And then you go to the other end of the extreme where it's um, super convenient and you have on-demand uh, food delivery order ordering where it, your hormones in your body tell you that you're hungry. You press a button, you have pizza in, in 20 or 30 minutes. Um, that's Well, that's super convenient. It's it's also expensive. It's um, it's not as as customizable or personalized as as uh, one would like. It's usually not healthy. Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's not super profitable at the same time for the businesses involved in it. There are so where we stand is where we're somewhere in between. And um, before we launched, what we were trying to improve was the, the, the there was there was a, a small category that was doing meal subscriptions. And it was it was very traditional. It was it was a bunch of traditional companies doing the food production and the food delivery. It was not convenient. Usually, you don't have many options. You have one or two options per day, um, if you can choose. And uh, it's very restricting, very limiting. So on the convenience spectrum, it sits close to cooking. So it's more convenient than cooking, but it's way less convenient than anything else. Where we came in um, was was in between that and on-demand delivery, where we made it a lot more convenient. So we're, we're close to the on-demand delivery, but at the same time, since it's scheduled, we managed to to optimize on the operation and therefore pass some of the operational uh, uh, cost saving uh, onto the consumer and offer them a much higher quality of, of product. So the, the food quality is is really is, is great. Um, and at, a, at a, an affordable, a more affordable price point. I think that, so you touched on a couple of things. I feel like there's like a number of, I feel like there's a couple of very strong trends. And essentially the way we think about it is you're removing the burden from consumers, the burden of thinking of, of healthy food, right? So if, if I'm, I'm a subscriber, I don't have to worry about what I'm going to have as my next meal. And I know that it exactly fits my dietary requirements and preferences. And maybe that's also a larger trend. So we could see that in some aspects of like personalized uh, healthcare, right? Where you don't have to necessarily think of the right um, supplements for you because someone's thinking or an algorithm is essentially thinking of that on your behalf. But the other thing that I, I wanted to stress on is personalization. So you mentioned that, yes, you know, consumers obviously require a certain level of personalization, but it's not, it's, it's not always easy to crack, right? But you essentially have been able to do that. Yeah, my head, you want to take this one? Yeah, I, I'd love to actually. Yeah, well, well, one of the things that, that we know, and, and, and goes back to what Ahmed said of designing for ourselves, more and more there's this, this understanding that food is medicine. And the whatever you put into your body is is becoming more and more important to the consumer. Um, starts with us, of course, and and our ethos as a as a brand, as an offering, as a product, is we want to make healthy easy, and it's not easy for us, but easy for the consumer. So what we what essentially what we want to be able to give the consumer is this 
freedom of choice, um, but more so they're in control. Um, so the, the, the opportunity we have by being direct to consumers, we collect all of this information and then give the promise that we'll send you the food that is the correct type of food for you from a macros point of view, from a calorie count point of view, depending on what your objective is. And I think what that allows us to do is go back to our promise of making healthy easy for the consumer, where the, the hero in this case isn't Calo as a brand. The hero is the consumer. The product that we have is just an enabler of that. And, and I think this is, this is one of the things where if you were to speak with anyone on the team, you'd feel a lot of that where we, we, we don't take credit for, for the work that happens in the background because the real challenge is the person that decides to subscribe to Calo, regardless of what their, what their fitness or well-being goals are. Um, and, and that's a space we find super interesting for, for both now and the future. I can expand on that a bit if, you, if you'd like, or we could jump to another one. Most companies that do healthy meal plans, as mentioned earlier, are traditional companies and they're, they're, they're set for a particular goal. And that goal is to generate profits for their, um, their owners or shareholders. And most of them are, are usually very small companies. Again, they're traditional. And what that means is they're, they're, they're food companies, essentially. The, the difference between what they do and what we do is we're uh, focused on, we're a tech first company. So we're a tech startup at heart. And we, we started with, with the innovation um, as the goal on how can we solve the customer problems in the best way possible. Um, and then how can we grow from there to build you know, an, a, a fantastic business around it to be able to do more and more of that innovation for the consumer. So I think those couple of differences, the fact that we're tech first, food second and and the other companies are um, are focused on on the food that makes a that, that allows us to innovate a lot more and and obviously the the tech part is embedded from the ground up so from the the moment the moment someone places an order the data that goes to the supply chain team and then the operations team and then the delivery team streamlined through the different products we've been building um, that allows us to to have to, that allows us to innovate and to 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 build um, and create data-driven meals for them. So I, I think I don't know if that that uh, answers your question earlier, but uh, I think you were you were touching on what allows us to uh, to, to to do these things and to personalize yeah. um, compared to others. Yeah, we could see that also on a very granular level when we visited one of your kitchen facilities, uh, which is. Essentially, I think it's one of the cleanest and the ones that the one that smells the best that we've seen, and it's just it was amazing. We went, we both left like super hungry. Oh, that's that's good to hear, but also sad. <laughs> the guys didn't give you any snacks or meals <laughs> to try. No, no, they did. Yeah, it was really early in the morning, and we they were just like starting starting off. Uh, they gave us some uh, some of the snacks. Nice. The dates with the peanut butter, which was amazing. Nice. We're always talking about them in the office. Awesome. I wanted to kind of ask you guys about what your vision was when you first started Calo. So you were, you started off in Bahrain, I think in 2020. Was that, was that when you started? So soft launch in November, 2019. And uh, the, the actual public launch was Feb, 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you guys started in Bahrain. Where did you see this going? Did you see this exploding into the GCC or what What was the vision back then when you first started? Yeah, so a couple of answers, both of which are 
you know, are true. Um, on the one hand, the dream was to go big and the dream was to build this out to be a, a big business. And I, I definitely was thinking GCC, not Bahrain when we started. But on the other hand, we also had no idea what we're doing. It was super early. We were just trying it out. And, and uh, you know, when, when you put it in the narrative of this was probably my sixth or seventh startup that I was experimenting with that year, it gives you an idea on, on what mindset I was in, which is I'm going to try a bunch of things. I will kill what doesn't work and I will focus on what works, which is a very lean uh, way of thinking. And and basically I was, uh, I didn't know if Cal was going to end up being a great thing. Like we soft launched on day one um, with seven people as our customers. Uh, myself, myself and my sister were two of them and the other five were friends. And I, I would have very well accepted the possibility of shutting down a week later or two weeks later. I think I was very, we were very, very realistic there and very uh, pragmatic. Uh, but the vision was, there are so many tools and websites and even resources, like if you consult with nutritionists and, and other, let's say other uh, subject matter experts, they would all tell you what you should do and what you should eat. It's it's so difficult to end up taking those tips and those insights and actually cooking the food yourself every single day. Um, and that's what makes eating healthy so difficult. And therefore, that's what makes most people choose not to. And and um, the idea was, what if we not only tell you, but we do it for you and we send it to you? Um, that was the, the the idea initially. And you know, it's at the core of of the of the mission that we communicate today, which is how can we take something that is good for you? Everyone knows it's good for you but it's just not easy it's difficult and how can we make it easier and easier to the point where it's uh, it's a lot more convenient and you guys absolutely exploded once you um, expanded into saudi because we were seeing calo bags in almost every single office we were uh, going to so how how did you manage that sort of super rapid growth from an operational side i think um that's that's probably one of what one of the best things that can happen to a business, but also one of the most challenging. So we 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 uh, we wanted to start off, and I remember the conversations when when we had just acquired the Saudi facility, we were building the team, and Ahmed kept saying, "When, when, when?" Again, I, by nature, I'm an optimizer. Ahmed's a builder. Uh, so for Ahmed, it was, when are we going to send out the first meal? So we we moved as fast as we could to that. What we weren't expecting is obviously what what happened. Um, but as soon as we saw the traction that that uh, that Kala was picking up, and we had an invitation only that was spreading with with a very high viral coefficient, what we ended up doing is we started hiring ahead of time up to where we are now and continuing to build capacity. And and that's what I, I think one of the learnings for us moving forward to every market that we move into. Product market fit is is there for us. And the most exciting thing is how is it that we can build the supply in ways that other people haven't in order to give the consumer a better experience than what they're currently having. Um, so it was it was a very exciting first six months until until we've we've launched openly in Riyadh. But it's it's uh, it's it's a lot of teamwork across multiple functions. So in short, Stephanie, to answer your question, it's we built a supply chain team. We built a fantastic operations team with a focus on quality. And then the, the the customer service team that we have just all kicked into overdrive as well. So it was a lot of learning as we were going there. 
Do you do you guys see a difference in consumer behavior between the two markets, uh, ordering behavior or anything that's like interesting to point out? Well, for me, Anna, the, the the one that's probably the easiest to talk about is consumers in Riyadh do not like onions. <laughs> that, 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 that's that's one that I think we've we've learned the hard way. But what's what's fantastic about about Calor, just about being direct to consumer, is you can you can make that change. And and the team that's responsible for the food has been super close to the consumer to get that feedback and and take that learning. But for, from from a food point of view, that's one thing I can think of. Ahmed, anything anything comes to mind? Yeah, I think there are a few subtle differences. We could definitely see that when it comes to the meals and some, like let's say a meal that's a that's a winner in Bahrain ends up not doing as well in Riyadh and vice versa. A meal that is not doing very well in Bahrain is uh, is then loved by the by the let's say Saudi palate uh, or the palate of the people of Riyadh at least at this point. There, there are a few interesting uh, differences in terms of behavior, um, in terms of consumer behavior. I think the adoption is is uh, is much higher in Riyadh. Um, we, we're we're yet to fully understand why. I mean, there definitely population size and disposable income matter, but I think also the culture in Riyadh. By at, at this point, when it comes to online food ordering or when it comes to eating, you know, uh, ha- having lunch delivered to the office and things like that, is quite mature. And there was just hunger in the market for a more convenient solution um, at a higher quality. So I think th- there are other in- probably intricate behavioral uh, uh, insights that uh, that we're yet to, to to find out as we're building our our data team and growing our product team that's extracting them. But for the most part, the the qualitative ones or the ones that I can think of at the top of my head are. Are mostly just uh, that. That's Saudis or the, the people of Riyadh love convenience and and uh, are willing to to pay more for better quality um, and and personalization. I, I want to go back to something you said uh, earlier, Ahmed. But I guess the question applies to both of you. So you mentioned you were extremely passionate about what you're building, and you really you saw it as a you saw essentially yourself as a as a bit of an example of a consumer for it, right? You were looking for a solution like Kahlo. Where does that passion become a, a catalyst in the business? And where do you, and does it ever become a bit of a challenge because you're you're very passionate about it? Great question. I think in the early days, it helps a ton. And then as you, as you grow into a product market fit, or even, you know, slightly before that, it could become challenging. So um, a caveat, so something to, to keep in mind is that being the the consumer of your own product or scratching your own itch is super, super valuable um, because in the early days, feedback is very important and it's hard to get it. And your feedback is important and relevant if you are the ideal customer. As things grow, however, you're, you're no longer the only persona. There are other personas and you start not building for yourself anymore, but then you start building for, for your customers. And I think having low ego while realizing that, um, sure, I am the ideal customer, but um, having low ego and being willing, being willing to listen to feedback from customers um, where they would tell you that, let's say, and it, it could be like with, with food, it's, it could even be thought of as, you know, uh, taste or, or uh, 
it could be a taste-related matter where I might think a meal is amazing and uh, my customers disagree. Um, so it's, it's, it's really then about moving from this qualitative data in the very early days to more quantitative data and understanding what the customer is telling you, especially when you have a very large number of variables like you know, flavors, textures, cuisines, and then more importantly for us, um, also the nutritional data also applies. One thing I'd add there is um, the, the, the most rewarding thing is when we get, when we hear back from our customers who've been on their own journeys and it, what, what, what results they've been able to achieve. Some people subscribe to Cala before getting married. Other people just want to, to, to have a lifestyle shift. And, and some people just want a convenient solution while they're in the office. But I, I think feeling that responsibility towards our consumers is, is fantastic. I think it's driven us to where we are today. But it's also, to, Stephanie, to your point of when, when does it work maybe against the business that we, we constantly feel like it's not enough because there's so much more we can do in this space. And there's a lot of consumers that we aren't, um, we're not available to yet. Um, and the availability could be because of geographic limitations, but sometimes it's because of price as well. So I think to, to answer your question, I, the, the good and the bad is that there's so much more for us to do in that pursuit of making healthy easy. So I want to dig into who Calo is for, essentially, because it seems quite obvious, right? About a third of the GCC population is uh, struggling with obesity or diabetes and a solution like Kahlo makes a lot of sense for that segment, but it seems that it also has a much larger mandate, right? Like everyone who's essentially looking for healthier options can be a Kahlo customer. Yeah. Um, if you look at the demographics of, of who our customers are, you would find people as young as 13 years old and people as old as 80 years old. And the split between males and females is uh, is pretty close, usually skewing more uh, higher on, on, on females than, than males. But to answer your question more, more broadly on who is Calo for, it was designed initially for just busy people. And that's something we say often, we're, we're doing meal plans for busy people. And a busy person could be a, a busy professional, but also could be a stay-at-home mom who's, who's busy, you know, doing whatever they, they're doing with kids or, or, or whatever is keeping them busy. Or it could be, could be a doctor, could be a lawyer, could be a, a banker, could be a student. I, I think more, more broadly even than that, it's, it's for anyone who, who wants to eat. And I, and I don't want to say everyone who wants to eat healthy, because I think everyone at some point in their lives will realize that, okay, I need to start taking care of myself and I need to start eating more healthy or eating better if, because healthy might be a, you know, a word that people don't enjoy using, but it's, I want to eat something that's good for my taste buds, but also good for my body. It's not going to betray me later and, and make me feel down or not make me feel like I can function, take away my energy and things like that. So I think it's more broadly, it's, it's, um, I think in, in the future, we also see a trend of um, more and more people are eating healthier. So that segment is growing, but essentially it's anyone who either has a fitness goal or just wants to maintain a healthy lifestyle um, while eating delicious food. Actually eating delicious food comes first. So I wanna eat good food that's good for my taste buds and good for my body. And when you say it that way, it's practically everyone. 
Yeah. Do you feel like the word healthy has like a connotation of, you know, to mean something like, oh, it's healthy, so it must be a little bit bland? Yeah, I mean, I think it might have that reputation, but um, yeah, we, we don't we don't tend to overuse it. But I think, uh, yeah, it might have that uh, reputation. Kind of steer this um, conversation more into the the culture talo. So as you guys are growing and building Saudi Riyadh today, and hopefully as as you go into more cities, how do you how do you see yourself maintaining the culture at at the company? I I think that you have a great culture today. I think the team that you've built is is remarkable, and I just wanted to see what your thoughts were on on how you plan on maintaining that as you grow. So culture is something we've been very deliberate about from day one. And um, so it's something that we, we, we care a lot about and, and internally. We interview everyone who joins at the company. As part of the process in interviewing people who join the company, one of the interviews is called the culture fit interview. And that's usually the last interview. I've been involved in every single one. And I, I don't know how, how, we, how we can scale that yet, but uh, there probably are ways. So there are two things. There's, there's culture and there's scaling culture. And I think realistically, the company is changing and the company continues to change and evolve as it grows. As you go from one city to two, from, from two to, to 10, certain things change. And, and uh, you know, you go from being um, a small team all in the same room to people who wouldn't even fit in a big hall. So things definitely change along the way, but uh, maintaining, maintaining a, a, a positive work culture that, that, uh, operate under the same set of shared values um, is something that um, we're experiencing now how to scale it. We're putting in a lot of effort to, to scale the culture gracefully, to, to scale it with the growth of the company. We don't have all the answers yet, obviously, because we're, we're, we're still in the journey. But I think, um, you know, talented people have a lot of choice. They have, they have options and where they, they want to go. You know, if you were someone young and hungry and ambitious, and want to join a company, wouldn't you rather work in a company that has a fantastic mission that you relate with or reson- that resonates with you and that has a, an amazing culture where you, you appreciate people you work with and, and you know, it's, it's built on values that you identify with, like you know, honesty and, and, and empathy and, and so on. Um, so I think if you don't succeed at building a strong culture, um, it's, it's quite difficult to scale uh, the business because, you know, you scale the business with people. Yeah, I think if you build a strong culture where people want to stay, you, you, get, you gain a lot of compound interest on, on those people because they've gained the context, they're trustworthy, they love the mission, they love the company, uh, they're, they're, they're vested, uh, they have vested interest because ideally they own, they own some shares. And yeah, I think that that's a, that's a recipe, that, that's a great recipe for scaling a company, in my opinion. I don't know if that answered your question, so maybe Mayed might have better insights. Yeah, no, I, I would I would say I, I completely agree with everything Ahmed said. And, and what I'd add to it is we were very deliberate in setting it up, but the challenge isn't just in, in setting up. The, so the culture for us is, is the way we work. Um, it's the culmination of all of our values and making sure that everyone buys into it. Um, so at the time, we were, we were a small team when we put the first version of, of our values together. But what we've come to learn with time, and we've made a lot of mistakes along along the road, and I'm sure we'll continue to make mistakes as well, is that there, there's this constant need for touch points and how to, to continuously reinforce the values 
I would say the, the the biggest one for us is we're super lucky to have um, culture champions within within Calo. So people that not just understand it, but believe in it. Um, and uh, the touch points that I think we've created and, and need to reinforce continuously is at each touch point with the cons- with with a with a team member, it has to go back to what our values are, which then translates to to yeah, culture is essentially the the the, the way we work or the way somebody feels while they're at work. Um, Fasala, to, to answer your question, I think the the way we're thinking of it moving forward is just to make sure that everyone continuously gets feedback within the values that we've set up. And for us, uh, I think potentially in six months' time, we'll find out if this was this was the right approach to go with or not. But it's definitely a key priority for us as we scale. Yeah, I think that's a great way to go about it. I like the the way you guys are thinking about it, especially as, as you grow, because it's definitely something that a lot of companies struggle with, because as they scale, the culture doesn't seem to be the same as when they were smaller. And it's something that a lot of people have... Um, constantly spoken about on how to kind of maintain that. Great. And just kind of like part of the last questions, can you tell us more like about how you see the food space moving forward in the region? Like I think food has been very popular regionally in, in, in all aspects, whether it's uh, cloud kitchens or deliveries or the aggregators, we've seen it explode in different, different places. Um, how do you see it? growing, moving forward, especially in, in, in your space. Yeah. How do we see the food space evolving in the region? I think I'm willing to bet that in five to 10 years time, more apartments and houses will be built without kitchens. I think um, that's, yeah. that's bold. That's bold. Interesting. I'm, I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. <laughs> um, I, I think we've already started seeing that trend and, and having much smaller kitchens or kitchenettes and new new apartment buildings or, or uh, houses. Yeah, I, th- I think I think convenience is going to increase. Options are going to increase. And the consumer is going to, going to have more options. And uh, the consumer is going to go with, like always, uh, the option that is better, faster, and cheaper. So I think, uh, I, I don't know how things will evolve. I think we will continue to have different types of options or verticals or categories. If you remember the convenience spectrum I've mentioned earlier, I think each each one of those pillars will will continue to exist, and we'll see potentially more categories. So some people will still will still cook, but I think the data shows that the new generation is cooking less and less. You'll you'll see the the, the vertical of on demand food delivery to 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 continue to exist and to grow, and and the same thing with with scheduled uh, meal deliveries, uh, similar to Calo. And yeah, I think. Uh, I think people will will continue to to choose the options that are better, faster, cheaper for them. So, so maybe one last question, building on that, and and kind of thinking of some of the 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 shifts, the larger shifts happening on a global scale. Do you see any demand for different types of proteins or alternative proteins within your consumer base, or is it too early to talk about something like that? I have my my own views on that. Um, very interesting question. I think it's a it's definitely. I mean, it's, it's an international trend, right? Uh, I tend to subscribe to the idea or thought that again, people will always choose what's better, faster, cheaper. So until alternative proteins taste better and are cheaper and more more available, 
I think people will continue to be eating meat. Um, I do think that there's a there's a high likelihood that in the next five to ten years, alternative proteins do become better, faster, and cheaper. And in that case, I think the adoption will. That's when the adoption will really kick in. I think it's still quite niche at this point. I think there's there's definitely value there, and I, I, I I'm a big fan of a lot of the companies that are uh, developing. You know the that are developing alternative proteins in whatever ways, whether lab-grown or plant-based. I think it's early for the region in particular, and also quite early for the entire world. But I think in five to 10 years time, all is gonna change there. It's going to be, uh, the, the consumer will decide and the consumer will always decide to go with, if it tastes the same or better, and it costs the same or it's cheaper, I think that's when real adoption will happen. Yeah, I think I, I, I just I, I agree. I, I think um, if if we were if we were operating in the U.S. today, I think we'd have a gluten-free option. I think we'd have a vegan option, just because the consumer ultimately demands what the supplier produces. But at what point would it become mass scale? As I think until until the prices come down to the end consumer, where adoption is is less likely to happen. Um, there's there's one question Sarah asked earlier, which uh, I'd, I'd love to chime in on, which is what what could the future look like? And similar similar theme to what to to what we were just talking about. Of I think the future revolves around a lot of choice to the consumer, but from an operator point of view, there's going to be a lot of optimization. And I think it's the the operators that are able to optimize and get the most out of their assets and pass that saving on to the consumer. Ultimately, that would win, and um, I, I'm I'm very excited to see how that pans out. Where ultimately, it's a it's a better experience to the consumer, where they have more choice, and potentially at a better price. Um, so as a result of that, prices go down, consolidation would happen, and so on. But I'm I'm very excited about that, and potentially the area I'm I'm most excited about in the future is um, is the feedback loop of currently we we consume our food from one place we get our information on where to train from another and then we track all of that information somewhere else um nowhere do we have that complete feedback loop and that's that's a space i'm i'm super excited about where the blend of food and wellness happens food wellness fitness that that I think is is a super exciting space that 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 will be unlocked within the next five to ten years. I, I would say five at a stretch, actually. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with you on that one. I have a question for you guys. Um, what what are you excited about as consumers when it comes to food or meal plans? What what, what do you see? Um, so I'll be super quick. I think I definitely agree with you, Mu'ayyid, on having this kind of unified kind of centralized view of where you stand health-wise. And I think that includes, I don't know exactly today what it looks like, but I think it could be a bunch of things feeding into one another, perhaps as a first step, kind of really being able to monitor and optimize your food intake, your water intake, your workouts, your level of activity as a whole, um, even if it's not workouts. And I think we are a few years away from it, but I think it's, it's coming pretty soon. But something solid, something that's beyond maybe some of the more gimmicky platforms that we have access to today. I think the second thing I'm excited about would be perhaps in terms of waste management and food waste. I think maybe the time has come to now look at that very seriously. And then the third one, 
but that's a bit more personal to me is probably protein alternatives. Uh, so Sara and I don't eat meat usually. So that's that's something that we usually avoid. And so we look at alternatives, not necessarily to replace the taste of meat, at least for myself, but it's different flavor profiles that you look for. So whether it's lab grown, I don't know, to be honest, if I'm very comfortable with that. But maybe plant-based is more is more my thing. But but that's also a space I'm super interested about. Sara, what about you? I'm excited for Carlo to come to the bay. <laughs> <laughs> I second that. <laughs> but uh, stay tuned. I would like I would not like for kitchens to be uh, to for apartments or like houses not to have kitchens because I still like think that cooking and like having the experience of cooking is really important just for people. Uh, in general, so that Ahmed, I disagree with you on. <laughs> I I would, by the way, I would double down on what Ahmed said. It's a it's a view we we both share, in that um, you you look at the clo- you look at the clothes you wear, you look at the shoes you wear, um, the car you drive, all of those are 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 in the past. Maybe things you would have contributed to building, but now now you don't. And I I think very soon food will be the same as well. That makes sense, but I, I, I'm going to stick with Sara. I think we're 50-50 on that one. <laughs> yeah, listen, I, I think cooking will, will always exist as a, as a leisure activity. Um, I think it's very therapeutic. I think it's amazing. Um, but it's something you would do on a weekend, on a date night, maybe. Not something you want to do three times a day, seven days a week. Uh, so I think th- there, there will be smaller kitchens. For sure. Yeah, and, and not everything, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I yeah. agree. All awesome. Right. Well, this great. was great. Thank you guys for having us. Thanks, awesome. Guys. Thanks for your time.